Welcome to X-rated, X-rated movies. movies. I'm one half of your hosting team, Matt Fisher. Matt Fisher. <laughs> Did anybody say that to you? <laughs> I had that thought on the way over here. Anyway, my name's Ryan Whedon. Uh, I can't think of a James Bond song that goes into Ryan Whedon. For Ryan Whedon. For Ryan with the Whedon. <laughs> We should uh, be DJs. This is, <laughs> we should remix all those songs. This is a movie podcast, if you didn't know by now. Are two guys who used to do it, or now they don't. Nope, now we just try to make each other's <laughs> names fit into James Bond songs. Well, I hope you all enjoyed the uh, long weekend. This, is, of course, is uh, us back from the Thanksgiving break. Oh, I feel so bloated still. Yeah. I ate a lot. <laughs> yeah. What's your favorite foods on Thanksgiving? Really like various variations on potatoes. Oh, yeah, definitely. People are real creative with potatoes. And I didn't know that, you know, starch plus dairy plus <laughs> cheese is like heaven to me. You know, you can give me the sweet potatoes with, with marshmallows. Oh, yeah. Scallop potatoes. Mm-mm-mm-mm. No. Mashed potatoes. They can have lumps, they can have peas, they can have green onions. Keep those skins on, people. Keep the skins yeah. on. Pro skin, pro oh, skin. So good. There are very few incarnations of potatoes that I'm not for. Yeah. Wait a minute. Are you trying to trick me into be voting for pro potato? <laughs> I'm pro fig, damn it. Oh, oh I almost had you there. <laughs> oh, I love uh, fig desserts <laughs> and all the fig dishes that come along with Thanksgiving. Scalloped. Figs with all the fixins. <laughs> figs au gratin. <laughs> Mashed figs <laughs> with the skins <laughs> and gravy. <laughs> now that nothing says Thanksgiving like mashed skins on figs with gravy. <laughs> Oh, man. Just takes me right back to being a kid. Good old traditional home cooking on Thanksgiving. Mm. Ah. We're off to a good start. I also really enjoy... I mean, like, I'm a turkey fan. Turkey's so good. Why do we only have turkey once a year? Yeah, you're not one of those turkey haters. No, I fucking love turkey. And I like all the, like, vegan... Fake turkey. Do like, you really? I've never had tofurkey. I've well, not ne- tofurkey specifically, but the uh, field roast celebration roast is uh, one of the most delicious types of fake meat thing I've ever had. No, oh, okay. You just put that in the oven with some uh, potatoes and carrots and onions, and it tastes like you made a roast. I don't always have turkey on Thanksgiving. I, I go to my aunt and uncle's for Thanksgiving most years, and my uncle is an excellent chef. So sometimes he like just goes all out, makes like prime rib or something like that. Wow. Like, so we don't always have turkey, but like we always have a feast. But it's always a lot of meat. I have no vegan vegetarians on that side of the family. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it's always meat, meat, meat. And then, of course, like, it's a small gathering. Like, that side of the family isn't very big. Mm -hmm. But, of course, there's, like, eight different pies for six people. I mean, like, here's the thing. I love food, and I love dessert. But on Thanksgiving, 
I want like a cup of sorbet at the mm-hmm. end. Pie is always great, yeah. but I don't want it for like a good four or five hours after eating my Thanksgiving dinner. But like everyone always wants to eat dessert like right away. And yeah. I'm just like, no. You just want like a box of like saffron and truffle infused oxygen or something. Yes. <laughs> now, Thanksgiving is actually one of my m- more preferred holidays. Mm-hmm. A, for whatever reason, I'm like, well, I know what the reason is. I'm irresponsible, <laughs> but I just have no responsibilities on Thanksgiving. Like, I, my responsibility is to show up. Okay, yeah. I don't cook. I don't clean. I don't host. Do but... you bring anything? No. Oh I my... bring my sparkling, bubbly personality. <laughs> well, you should bring some sparkling bubbles with that next time. Yeah, it's not uncommon for me to, like, bring a bottle of wine or okay. something like that. But for the most part, it's just, like, a show up, food's already made. All that good stuff. Yeah, it is kind of nice to be a witty gay, because really that's all people are inviting you for. (laughs) Well, also, my family's close enough that it's just like an Uber ride across the water. Oh, family? Yeah, you don't have to bring any. You don't have to bring shit to that. So, the movie that I watched over this long Thanksgiving weekend was... A movie that shaped my childhood, and it goes by the name of The Flight of the Navigator. I mentioned this off-pod, but I'm just going to put it here right now. After Fifth Element and The Brave Little Toaster, this is probably the third most movie I've seen in my life. I've seen it dozens of times. There was one summer it was on the Disney Channel, and anytime it was on, I just watched it. No matter where it was in the middle of it, I watched it. So Roughly how old were you during this period of time? Well, I tried to do the math on it. This movie came out in 86. I think I had already been to Disney World at that point, which would have been 89-ish. So I probably would have been like 10, 9 or 10, 11, somewhere in there. Okay. And I don't think I've seen it since that summer when I watched it 100 billion times, however many it I was. Mean- Going back and revisiting movies from my childhood in the spirit of the Large Marge Sentos podcast. Right. With the exception of Beetlejuice, which I stumble upon every couple of years, there's a huge divide. Like, it went from watching constantly to, like, never watching again. Yeah, there's probably a good 30 years between when I last saw this movie and this watch that just happened for me. And I just, I gotta tell you... Earlier, I think you mentioned this on the Tremors episode, but like you said, you didn't have to take any notes. I had to take very few notes. I mean, I could talk about it even without the refresher, I felt like. So this is the first time I'd ever seen it. Let's just uh, get it out of the way. How did you feel? It's very much a movie meant for kids. Mm -hmm. And a movie meant for kids could, I feel, can only appeal to adults so much. Sure. But while I was watching it, I really wish that I'd seen this as a kid because I would have fucking loved it as a child. I was very nervous going into this. I was like, what if this movie sucks? And you know what? This is a pretty good movie. It's okay. It's okay. It's not bad at all. As an adult, like, because really there's some interesting story stuff that happens. Like when the kid wakes up and it's eight years in the future. Mm Mm-hmm. That's like a fun little mystery. Like yeah. even watching that as an adult and I was like, oh, how did they do this? Like, right. go on movie, please. 
go, uh, dive further into this mystery. On this watch, I really liked, and I think if I really would have thought about it as a kid, I could have said this too, but I think that the first half of this movie is better than the second half. There's a really crazy tonal shift that happens once he gets into the ship, mm-hmm. but like that first half is really kind of scary and uh, ambiguous and it's a real slow burn in a way that makes your, you know, intended audience who's a kid wait for that payoff, which is like, I get to fly a spaceship with an alien in a way that I, I really enjoyed. And I just I just enjoyed that first part much more than the second. Once we actually got into the ship, it was kind of like, this isn't as fun for me as an adult. Really? Yeah. See, for me watching it, I felt the first half was a little dull. Mm. And then when he gets in the ship, I was like, oh, this is the movie. Yeah. Like, this is what we bought the ticket for. Yeah. Because the inside of the ship is pretty cool. Like, the silver chrome, The special effects. Yeah. I like that, too. Uh, design of the ship. There is a, a hard shift in tone of the movie, but I don't know. The, the look and the design of the inside of the ship... I was like, oh, this is cool. It like also this movie is like how to do awesome things without really trying. <laughs> because like the kid does jack shit to like get good at flying this ship. Oh yeah. Uh, it's a very well designed ship. Yeah. <laughs> it's and, like an iPhone. <laughs> yeah, kinda. Like you feel awesome for using it. Yeah. And, but it took no skill or training. <laughs> but I don't know. The the second half was kind of when I got sucked in a little bit more. Okay. Or maybe that was just when I was like this is where the kid in me gets hooked. That's also partially possible because like the summer that I watched this a bunch, I was always tuning in and I saw the last half a lot Mm. more than I saw the first half. So seeing the first half for me was way more exciting. Like that's a possibility. There, there is a little bit of a ET ripoff feel to it. Like a, the kid kind of looks like Henry, Mm. Hank, Henry, Hank. Sure. Uh, from, Oh, that's the actor's name. Elliot is the kid's name. Of course. I'm just uh, like, yeah, you, you got it. <laughs> uh, he kind of looks like Elliot from E.T. He does a little bit, yeah. There's that early scene when he's walking and his brother is like going to go get his brother. Mm-hmm. And like it's in a foresty scene, but mm-hmm. it's like lit with lots of fog. And it's like, this is straight out of E.T. Mm-hmm. The movie's not even trying to not be E.T. at that point. And I think that that must have been intentional. Because this movie came out, what, four years after E.T.? Something like that, three or four years. And it's like, it's a movie about aliens, so like they must have been like self-referential at that point. Uh, one area where this movie excels at, not to knock John Williams, but the core for this. Like the music when the ship is like up and running and going is pretty awesome. I fucking love the soundtrack this time through. I was like, wow, this music is amazing. When he gets in Ralph mm-hmm. and like it's going to go to uh, the ship, mm-hmm. I was just like, this is A+. And I looked it up, Alan Silvestri. You want to know oh, some other movies he did? Lots and lots of movies. Yeah, one is uh, the Back to the Future franchise. Oh, really? And okay. another would be a little movie called Forrest Gump, mm-hmm. which is, you know, iconic in its own way. So, like, he's, no, he's Alan, a big deal. Alan Silvestri has done tons and tons of movie scores. Yeah, and I, it sounds like he did this whole thing on one keyboard, and I love it. It's Which so it does good. sound that way, but yeah. In a good way. It's so good. Yeah. But just like that upbeat sort of like, yeah. we're going, we're flying music. I was like, yeah. Yeah. The music in this is really good. And you know what? That's probably a reason I liked it. 
But even the quieter scenes when David's walking through the forest, it's like right after his brother has scared him Mm -hmm. and Bruiser, the dog, they come across like the precipice, like that cliff there. Mm -hmm. And there's sort of like the jingly mysterious synth yeah. music I was and like, there's like that flute thing that's like beep, boop, 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 beep, boop. <laughs> and i was like you know what for like a just a uh eight bit synth score this is pretty good yeah. like it's sort of evoking my sense of wonder here and that one's referencing uh close encounters of the third kind oh okay. a little bit so yeah i mean it's all in there I mean, you talking about how this is, you know, your top three most watched movies along with Fifth Element. This movie's not super far removed from Fifth <laughs> Element. It's not. Like, doing this podcast with you, there is a definite soft spot in your heart for this brand of science fiction and space travel. Well, I mean, Corbin Dallas is a little different, but, like, David is so bland. Like, he is so everyday. You know, usually when you get a kid uh, on an adventure story, it's because he got he, he ran away or he's being abused or something like that. And, like, there's not anything like this. In fact, it's kind of the opposite. Like, you kind of, like, really feel how upset he is when he goes back to what he thought was his home. Yeah. And there's strangers living there. Where's my mom and dad? I feel for him a little bit. It's like kids don't want their parents when they want independence, but it's like in the situation where he doesn't know what happens, he wants some level of like comfort and security. Yeah. And 12 is a hard age because he's 12. They mentioned it several times where it's like you're starting to get responsibility, but like you're still a kid. Mm-hmm. So like that's a real hard age to just be like thrown into something like this were you older or younger than david when when i saw this i don't remember seeing this in the theater it's possible i did but i don't think i did okay but like when you were watching the movie about how old were you i was probably 10 or 11 okay so, I was so you were roughly... closing in on david's age yeah and actually watching it this time i think one of the things that really made this movie interesting to me was the little brother older brother dynamic that happens david is the older brother in the past mm-hmm. and then once he you know goes into the future suddenly he's the younger brother who has an older brother and i think i attached on to that because i was always the younger brother and then suddenly seeing that person be the older brother to the older brother mm-hmm. it's just a, a an interesting mind game to play I don't know who I related to, I guess is my point. Like, okay. because I was like, I was definitely the, the younger brother, but I related to the main character, David. But then when that switches, like, what am I thinking? Who am I relating to then? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. It was, it, it just worked on a lot of levels for me, mm-hmm. probably as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you're deconstructing it. Yeah. Thoroughly. <laughs> That's an 11 year old. Yeah. As I'm thinking like, do I like the first half or the second half? Which brother do I relate to? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, stroking my- Who's my proxy in the movie? <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure that that was all like affecting me in some way. Meanwhile, like seven year old me is like, I'm Sarah Jessica Parker with purple hair. <laughs> you know something? You're a weird kid. This was her first movie. I mean, like, you know, woo. But at the same time, like, her part is totally just a write-off part. Like, there's her and Ralph. Pardon me, coming through. You could just write those parts out of the script, no problem, and you wouldn't miss a beat. 
we just watched Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, Secret of the Ooze, and I like that was struggling to think, like, what is that movie about? And I kind of had that a little bit with this movie, too. I was like, what is this movie about? Like, does David grow? Oh, this movie is so much... There's so much more, There's more too. here, too. Don't, yeah. Yeah, that's fine. But it's like, you know, David is sort of an awkward guy, and he doesn't know how to talk to girls, and uh, he's also a little, like, passive. And then throughout the movie, he kind of gains agency and learns to talk to girls but i mean that's kind of it he learns to talk to girls oh well he learns to talk to sarah jessica parker yeah because he's, he's got that crush on the one girl and right. he can't talk to her which never comes up again and then i guess yeah talking to sarah jessica parker like he does learn how to talk to girls i don't know it just seemed like he learned how to talk to other people <laughs> like it's not like sarah jessica parker was like an object of his affection or something like yeah, that. yeah yeah i mean i don't know if this movie needs to have a theme because it's just such an exciting adventure but i mean there's a moral arc like I, I hate to like make this movie deeper than it intended to be but there is a moral arc to this because like at the end he is sort of presented with a quandary where he can either live in the present or take the risk of going back in time right which may destroy his body right like he he has to make this decision it's a hard one that is my family but it's not my home my home is back in 1978. If I stay, those scientists will treat me like a guinea pig for the rest of my life. If you go back in time with me, you could be vaporized. I feel that, you know, he'd adjust. That if he just stayed in the present time, that he'd get over it and just move forward and make new friends. Even and... with all the testing that NASA would be doing to him, like he wouldn't have a regular life. You get Dr. Faraday, the guy from uh, Head of the Class, just constantly being like, can we see David for some more tests? <laughs> oh, I just thought that he could just live his life normally, but yeah, maybe you're right. You've seen this movie more times than I have. I did wonder this time around, though, when he leaves 1986 family, I was like, oh my God, what happens to them now? <laughs> like, that timeline is really dark. They're just like, he came back and then he left on the spaceship. So you subscribe to different timelines and not that we're all on one timeline that can be altered. Yeah, well, this time around, that's what I assumed. I mean, like, I think it is, as a kid, I assumed that, like, those people didn't matter because he went back and rectified all that. See, I subscribe to the Back to the Future theory where it's all one timeline that you can alter as opposed to multiple timelines where oh. one is the darkest timeline. No, this time, I, this time I just assumed there was a dark timeline and it was just like, like NASA came in and killed the family because they're like, this cannot get out. No, see, he went back. <laughs> You know, he's fucking flying over the interstate in that thing. Yeah. Like, people saw him. No, he went back in time, and it changed that timeline. Like, everyone faded into better people. Oh, okay. I mean, that's a much happier... future. That's a much happier way to think about it. Mm -hmm. This time, I was just like, what happens to that family? <laughs> yeah. God, they must have been torn apart. I know I've already mentioned this, but, like, I haven't had a nostalgia shot straight to the veins like this in... I don't know how long. No Beetlejuice. No Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2. <laughs> no, nothing has made me question whether I could be objective about something. Not even like Fifth Element. Like nothing. What is, about uh, Brave Little Toaster? Brave Little Toaster, same thing where it's like, I don't even know if I... Because I, I watch the Brave Little Toaster periodically. It's my... Every um, fiscal quarter. Brave Little Toaster is my Beetlejuice. Okay. We'll say. Okay. Um, But this one is like, I just haven't watched it in 30 years. And like, it was such a nostalgia shot that I was like, I don't know if I can be objective about this movie. Mm -hmm. There were parts about it that I definitely didn't like this time around. Like? like? 
Well, the creatures on the ship were all fine, except for the stupid, like, eye creature. That bothered me. Oh, why? Because it was stupid. Oh, I thought the eye was totally fine. You're into that. <laughs> I, I wouldn't go as you're far pro, to say that I'm pro into eye that. <laughs> you're pro-eye creature. But, like, the appearance of it in the movie did not bother or disturb or take me out of the film. Maybe it was just the sound design on it that bugged me. So when you watched it, I watched it on uh, Blu-ray here. Oh, wow. Could you see the strings on the little creature that, like, he takes with him? No. Oh, like, when we're introduced to whatever the name of that little creature is, Uh the strings are clearly visible on him. Well, then I have a question for you. How did they make the steps work? Were you able to see that on the Blu-ray? Oh, no, I looked, and it was seamless. Like... That is really impressive special effects work. There was one point where I was like, it looks superimposed, but then someone walked on the steps. I was like, oh, no, they're really yeah, there. And the kids, at the when they land at uh, Big Al's Gator Emporium, and, yeah, they're pushing on it. Yeah, he's like, look at this. I can push on the step, and it doesn't move. It just wiggles a kids. little. And they're, like, walking around it, those kids, too. And I was just like, well, that blows my theory, which was, like, there was some sort of support that was hidden by the angle of the camera. Mm. But, like... Those kids are walking around that like it's no big deal. Yeah. I don't know how they did that. I I think it's one of those things like uh, doing a a shot of a mirror straight on where like, I just don't know how they do it, but they figured it out a long, long time ago. It's great. Also, I think the special effects of the computer generated spaceship were good. Yeah. For 86. Yeah. Like, this weren't bad. It looked good. Well, early on, when they like discovered the shuttle or something, like that, they're like, mm-hmm. "How are we gonna move it?" And they're like, "Easy," and they push it. I'm like, "That actually looks pretty convincing." Any idea how we're gonna move it? You kidding? Watch this. Uh, no. They must have had at least one physical. M- maybe model they of did because I was watching. I was like, "That kind of looks like they're just pushing a big sort of nut shape." spaceship <laughs> through the air it kind of looks like a cantaloupe married a uh, bicycle helmet i was gonna say it just kind of looks like a sleek walnut <laughs> but sure, sure you know your your route works too <laughs> but there's like a scene a couple scenes where david is in the thing you know looks out the door while it's floating mm-hmm. so they must have had some kind of physical version of it yeah at least some facsimile of it yeah at the very least but I'm not totally sure, especially with the steps. Like, I, I couldn't tell you exactly how they did that because it looked good. Like, how whatever movie magic they pulled on it was very convincing. Yeah. The steps were super cool. The ship was super cool. The inside of the ship was great. Oh, no, I was saying this earlier. Like, the way that the ship looked, like, the chrome design of it, mwah. Yeah. I loved it. Like, that's the best. One of the best parts of this movie is when he, like, rides Ralph into the hangar where they're keeping the ship and then the steps come down and he slowly walks into it and the the score is great at that point like it's just a really magic moment and I think actually the the design of Max is pretty good because they're able to make this robot alien expressive somehow yeah like it, it It's an obvious reference to Hal with like, it's just like one singular eye, Mm -hmm. but did Paul Rubens do the voice 
all of Max. Yeah, they pitch shifted his voice, as far as I could tell. Well, okay, well, just even like the phrasing of it, like during its like normal state. Who's that? Sit down, navigator. I felt like it must have been someone else. I was like, that's not how Paul Rubin sounds. I think it was him the whole way through. Like, because before they do the, like, scan of his brain, mm-hmm. he's like... Listen, he's laughing. What is the purpose of laughing? The purpose? I guess it makes you feel happy. You should try it. <laughs> and it's like the Pee Wee Herman style laugh. Yeah. It's like, I think it's Paul Rubin's the whole way through. Okay, because... The laugh is definitely Pee Wee Herman. And there's a couple of phrases that sound like, like Pee Wee Herman, but when it's just Max talking normally, like I don't hear it at all. Yeah. And maybe it's because everything that I've seen Paul Rubens in is either Pee Wee Herman or sort of tangentially. <laughs> <The spleen>. Yeah. <laughs> Silent but deadly. They might have just been saying, like, lean into Pee Wee Herman. So yeah, I can't say for certain, but I was like, it just it sounds so super normal. Yeah. I think it was. I okay. think he just was acting. Okay. So, and he had his last name changed so that people wouldn't know it was him. So it was a surprise, which is kind of fun. Was Pee Wee Herman already a big thing at this point? Pee Wee's Big Adventure is 1985, so that was the year before this. Pee Wee would have been a a name at that point, and so he was trying to, or uh-huh. Paul Rubens would have been a name, and so he was trying to. He was trying to Bill Murray and Tootsie it. Yes. Good reference. <laughs> I don't want to make it sound like the second half of this movie sucks, Mm -hmm. but like I just wasn't as into it as much as an adult watching this movie as a kid. I can see why you'd want to see it as a kid because everything is happening to David. Your protagonist is a 12 year old boy and he's very scared at the beginning. He overcomes those fears and by overcoming those fears, he gets to pilot a fucking spaceship Mm -hmm. like, that's really exciting. And I was also thinking about it in 1986. I had a lot of friends who had never even been on an airplane at sure. that point. Sure. And so like to go to the theater and see all this like footage of, you know, fast moving, probably a helicopter did these shots over land flying like a bird. Like that must've been really exciting to see. So I get that aspect of it and I still feel not so much excited when he starts piloting it but just I get the thrill of that huge view screen he's got and like flying over various landscapes like that's exciting it's yeah cool. I mean if this movie was made nowadays it'd just be like an iPhone that he sits on or something <laughs> but there is like a little bit of a thrill and this goes back to our belief in doing it for real is always better mm-hmm. because the way that it goes like up and down throughout the clouds like whether or not like the camera's actually going there is some camera that's like going above the clouds and going below the clouds and like you can see like the hard like atmospheral wall like yeah. where the clouds flatten out as yeah. they hit the atmosphere and stuff. I'm like, that's cool to see. Like, we don't see that stuff in movies. I was realizing this time around, the end credits are amazing. It must have been all the leftover footage that they didn't use from the road trip part, but it's mm-hmm. just like all this sped up footage of a low flying aircraft over various landscapes. And it's really exciting. Mm-hmm. And like one of them, 
like you said before, starts off below the clouds while the sun is setting, goes above them. And so you see like how dark it is below and then you break through them and then like you see the sunset above it and it's like even more glorious. Yeah. Stuff like that makes this movie interesting, makes it exciting to watch. Yeah. Watching this, I was like, what other like it because it genuinely makes me curious as to what children's movies I missed out on. Mm hmm. Because if I had seen this as a kid, and I, I don't know how I missed it, I would have fucking loved it. This would have been a movie that I watched on repeat, like uh, uh, just a mainstay in my VCR. So now I kind of feel like, what other kids' movies did I miss out on? Like, what other thing could have sparked my imagination and my parents were just too lazy to take me to the movie theater? Can, can we talk a little bit about the actual actor who plays David? We can talk about whatever you want. Well, I would like to say that on this watch... He was painfully Canadian for me. <laughs> My mom took me to see the Bee Gees a couple months ago. He's supposed to be from Florida, and he's like, sorry. <laughs> there was a lot of like, oh, gosh, I oh, don't know. God. I'm so What's this all about? I'm so scared. I Where's drink my mo- milk out of a bag. <laughs> I think like every time he said mom, it sounded like mum to me, and I was like, oh, my God, come on. Also... Second point about David, the kid. I mean, uh-huh. I should. Before I do that, is he actually Canadian? Do you even know? Yes, he is a Canadian actor. So painfully, though, we need to get those Canucks out of here. <laughs> I, Where's uh, that wall? <laughs> I want to praise before I give another critique. The actor who plays David, whose name I did not write down, mm-hmm, does fine. a great job. He cries on cue. Like you feel his fear. He deals with Sarah Jessica Parker like a <laughs> pro. With the exception of a few bad line readings, he's really good. Mm-hmm. That said, he has hair inconsistency out the wazoo. Which is where hair inconsistencies come from. I mean, it's just like, we've got that 70s look with the wings. We've got what looks like obviously a wig. Are you saying he looks like uh, Kevin Bacon and Tremors? No, not quite that far. Okay. <laughs> Like, there's at least three or four different hairstyles he's got throughout this movie. And it was really distracting for me this time. Did you notice that? No. I don't pay as close attention to uh, supple young boys as you do. Well, his hair was all over the map. (laughs) I'll just tell you that. So, uh, tell me before I expound upon this in my way. The opening scene, the opening credits... Dogs catching frisbees. Mm-hmm. What did that symbolize? I just felt like it was an interesting thing to roll the credits over because, like, it starts off with that frisbee that looks like a UFO. Uh huh. And then, nope, it's a dog. <laughs> and then they're just like, let's just roll with this through the credits. But it's like the frisbees didn't look like UFO. Like they might have looked like UFOs in the minds of unsuspecting public. But it didn't look like UFOs, like the way the spaceship in the movie looked. No, but I think it sets it up so it's like you've got the sort of 1950s idea of what a UFO looks like, which is just a flat spinning disc. Okay. And then later when David is going to go get his brother and he's walking through the forest, he thinks he sees a floating object coming out from the trees and it just turns out to be a water tower, which is sort of like a Frisbee, but like bloated and then the next step is the actual saucer that we have which is a uh, walnut aerodynamic walnut 
But the ship isn't a saucer in any way, shape, or form. It's circular. So even if that were accurate, why did they show so many dogs trying to catch Frisbees? Were you sad about that? No, my dog was enchanted by the opening scene. Like She stood up on all fours (laughs) and just watched the tv it's just like one of those things where it's like this is footage we're gonna run the credits over i guess maybe i'm a little too sensitive to opening scenes because i feel that the opening scene should either set up the rules for the movie or sort of showcase like something important that we're gonna see and in this instance it was neither like an opening scene like if it's playing over opening credits it should be like an overture where you're like seeing the themes that will play out during the movie or it should be at least like an origin story so it's like uh, all right I'll put it I'll put it into movie terms it should either be like Batman Returns where we're getting the whole penguin origin story and the opening credits okay or it should be like Tremors where the opening scene is roughly mirrored in the closing scene and we're mm. getting like everything in that opening scene. And in this instance, I feel like we get neither. It's not like close enough to one or the other that I can write it off. Like this just seemed like random shit. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> I'm going to agree with you. I kind of feel like they were just like, what's a cool thing we can run these opening credits over? Mm-hmm. And they're like, dogs catching Krispies. <laughs> Which honestly is what I wish the internet still was. I'm not sad about it. Like, yeah. I'm like, let's... No, I, like I was watching those dogs like, oh, he almost got it. Yeah, like sometimes <laughs> like, they missed. Yeah. That was, that was kind of thrilling because you think they're going to get every time, but they didn't get it every time. Or sometimes like they would miss, but they like, they'd grab it with their arms. Yeah. I'm like, mm, look at that dog go. <laughs> I don't know. I, I was watching it attention purely on the movie. I was like, okay, and movie go. And I'm like, what, what, what is this? You were hoping for more of an like, American Anthem style opening where it's like the, the lyrics to the song that was going was explaining what was happening on the screen. Well, or at least what I was going to be seeing would play into the movie at large in some way. And it just, it really didn't. Like, dogs don't really play a big part in the movie. Like, yeah, David's got a dog. Except for, you know, what's the younger brother's name? Ben? I don't know. I think it's Ben. He says, Damn, dumb dog will never learn to catch a frisbee. He will soon. Don't call him dumb. How about retarded? And then, uh, you know, when we go to eight years later, Bruiser's catching frisbees. Like, Brad was like, I feel so bad about what whatever i did to make my brother disappear but that, doesn't that just imply that ben taught the dog to catch a frisbee right but he wouldn't have put that work in if his brother hadn't disappeared and how does that play into the larger themes it says that, that uh, the family's better off without david around it says interesting that- take <laughs> No, Interesting take. So the darkest timeline is when he goes back and fixes everything because mm. his presence just enables the family to rest on their laurels. Interesting, Ryan. Interesting. Uh, you're putting words in my mouth. <laughs> the family works harder without David around and does more to succeed. Interesting. Yeah, they suffer for their art and they <laughs> need that suffering Otherwise, they won't make the best of themselves. Wow. So, in your opinion, this movie has a sad ending. 
that David goes back and is reunited with his family. No, from I'm so happy for him. Thus, putting them on the darkest timeline. I do think that his little uh, alien creature that he takes with him is gonna die really quick. Like, what, what do you does feed he that eat? thing? Yeah, yeah. like, wh- what do you keep that in? Like, you can't keep it in a cage because your parents are gonna know it right away. Like, you can't reveal that to your parents. That's this dirty little secret. Do you think that this might be a uh, allegory for homosexuality and that uh, his flight into fancy was uh i don't know he's too young for that i can't just cut all that out he's like i don't know how to talk to girls i'll talk to this boy named max (laughs) who's a robot alien look at this whole new world that he's showing me around i'll let you scan my brain what is this called nambla that sounds fun I love this movie. <laughs> am I ruining this movie for you a little bit? No. Am I, am I like perverting like one of your childhood like innocent moments? Yes, podcast over. <laughs> I did like that line when they call David for the first time and he's in the NASA thing and, and like the only thing that he says is like, don't take any shit, David. I liked when, uh, when the psychiatrist is interviewing David. He's like, what time did you enter the woods? Around 8 o'clock. Then you met your brother? Yeah. The jerk jumped out of a tree and scared me. He's lucky he's still alive. But, like, Ben's, like, in the control room. You're like, yeah, I scared him good. (laughs) (laughs) Even though earlier in the movie, Ben is like, yeah, I felt really bad for scaring you that night. I'm like, okay, have some consistency character. Maybe we should talk just for a second more about how, what is that like? Can you imagine? Well, you don't have any siblings, so it must be tough for you, but like. I also don't have any imagination. Oh, well, this won't work then. <laughs> Never mind. Scrap the idea. <laughs> but you're like, you're the younger T- brother. Yeah, tell it to the listeners. You're the younger brother. And then all of a sudden your older brother goes missing and then comes back. And then suddenly you're the older brother. I don't know. You have to go from not worrying about your older brother's feelings which is speaking as a younger brother, what I did to all of a sudden being like, I'm the responsible one. And I have to reassure you in this situation where you're scared. Cause like there is that scene where David's like, Jeff, I'm scared. We'll figure something out. What a weird reversal of your role. You know, what would you do in that role reversal? I mean, I hope I would act like Ben did, but there's you a know, part... You know, you just give your brother a noogie? Yeah, there's a part of me that thinks that I'd be like, oh my God, you're crying. <laughs> Fag! Yeah. I mean, I'm shitty in that way, so I don't know. I'd like to think I'm the other way, but... By the way, speaking of my own brother, there's this, the scene when they land at uh, Big L's Alligator Emporium, whatever. Max comes down and is like... Hey! I kind of cringe this time, but like my brother loved that line. He would use it all the time. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah that was harsh because like that, like, you know, hill people that was like running the place did absolutely nothing to direct audience ire. <laughs> it's not even like he was that overweight to the point it was comical. No. Pretty but, fucked up. Yeah. I, I felt Paul uncomfortable. Paul Rubens ad lib on the day. Yeah. As he's like jacking off into a napkin. There was also a lot of 
retard and duh references, which like I, I mean, retard not, was big. Not so much the retard stuff, but like a lot of the duh stuff was funny to me still to this day. And I feel ashamed about that. But is duh offensive? To our audience, is duh offensive? Like, like, is that referencing something of like mental disabilities? Like, I, I, I yes. legitimately don't know. Is, I think, it, okay. I think that's what that references. Oh, okay, so. okay. As a kid who definitely said duh <laughs> plenty of times, it had no origin in such things. I think that is an offensive thing to say, even though I miss it because I did like saying that a lot. But, mm. um. This movie uses it a lot, and I think it is funny still. So but... we should go back and re-edit it, where they just say "didoy" instead. <laughs> oh, "didoy's" okay. I don't know. I'm terrible at shit like that, though. Also, like, I'll just say whatever popular culture is saying. So it's like, you know, I still don't even know who Snapchat is. Is that a minion, or are they all just Pokemon? <laughs> I think you capture Pokemon Go's with snapchats oh yeah and then you put them in the cloud right okay (laughs) got it and it automatically sends a tweet out about it (laughs) okay i think that's how that works and like then ariana grande's it right right (laughs) in your instagram story like yeah (laughs) okay that's how it works but you have to subscribe in youtube to get all that YouTube Red. Right. Right. We're hip. (laughs) I'm with it. I know what I'm talking about. Hashtag radical. (laughs) Hashtag cowabunga. (laughs) Anyway, this movie shaped my childhood. (laughs) And I I wish it did for me. Like, I really do wish that I watched this as a kid. Too bad. (laughs) So Uh, sad. (laughs) Duh. thoughts on this movie no i this has been on my list and this is the perfect chance to use it and i've been very nervous about putting it on the podcast but i really enjoyed watching it and i don't care if it's because it's nostalgia induced or because it's actually a good movie it was it was fun for me to watch so i hope you liked it too i i kind of did like i didn't derive like grown-up pleasure out of it but trying to watch it as a kid like putting myself in like six seven year old frame of mind i was like oh fuck this movie's awesome and yeah i really kind of feel like i missed out as a kid as long as you're not beating yourself up you you can stop flagellating yourself right now with that cat of nine tails (laughs) with my with my flagellator yeah okay what (laughs) is coming up next week matt you know i had a movie all locked and loaded but we talked about a different movie so much that I'm like, you know what? We're just going to do that movie instead. Oh, no. I don't know why you're scared. Next week, we're doing Back to the Future. Whoa. Woo, 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 woo. Honestly, going into this, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to have to improvise on the spot. And Wait, you just said you had a movie lined up. Well, like tentatively, like I had like a couple movies from my childhood. I was like, I definitely watched that as a kid, and I definitely watched that as a kid, and I'm like, I'll just have to like pick one 
when it comes time, when I cross the finish line. Okay. But we talked about Back to the Future in this. I was like, oh, you know what? That was also a movie I watched as a kid. So, no, next week we're doing Back to the Future. There's a lot of redhead stuff we can talk about in this movie. Oh, because of Eric Stoltz? Yes. Stay tuned, listeners. Okay. Plug our junk. Get the fuck out of here. Compliance. Follow us on Twitter at X-Rated Movies. Follow us on Facebook at Rated X Movies. (laughs) Just trying to keep it interesting. Email us at X.Rated dot movies at gmail.com <laughs> and uh check out our website it's xratedmovies.com and uh you know give us some love on uh apple podcast slash google Stitcher, play google play wherever you get podcasts we love hearing from you we love your love love to love you baby <laughs> i mean until next week keep reaching for that rainbow bye-bye <laughs>